Good evening. Thank you for joining. Uh, tonight's class is dedicated. Um, we would like to dedicate it in honor of here at Mayan, in honor of our dear, 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 dear friend, Shlaima Goldner, his mother's yard site. Uh, it's going to be the 16th of uh, Kislev. And for all the good that Rav does for us, uh, the Goldners do for our center, as being our rock-solid foundation. Um, so this is our way of uh, saying thank you. We would like to dedicate tonight's class in honor of your mother's yard site, um, Belima Reza Bas Ram Shloima. On the 16th of Kislev, may her neshama have, which is coming Sunday, may her neshama have a very, 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 very high aliyah, higher and higher and higher to the greatest of heights. And may she channel lots of brachas to you and give you the energy, gesund, and health and everything you need, uh, great prosperity uh, to continue your great work of helping so many Yidin that I know personally that you help and all the good you do for us at Mayon. So may, may this be a big blessing for you and, and um, for all of us. Um, thanks for that dedication. Uh, the CD this week, we don't have yet anybody that dedicated. If anybody listens to the shir and would like to retroactively claim the zchus and the merit of the CD, please let us know because it's, uh, it's a really, really, really fantastic mitzvah. Okay. So now, uh, this week is Parshas Vayishlach. And Shabbos Parshas Vayishlach is a very special Shabbos, primarily on the Hasidic calendar. The reason this Shabbos is a special Shabbos on the Hasidic calendar is because it's the Shabbos that's before one of the great holidays, a Hasidic holiday called the 19th of Kislev. Yutes Kislev. Now the 19th of Kislev um, is both the yard site of the Rebbe, the teacher of the entire Hasidic movement, the second teacher of the second Hasidic master after the Holy Balshemtov, the successor of the Balshemtov, Reb Doiv Ber, the Magad of Mizrich. Um, and in, in, in the Hasidic world, like the Balshemtov, his yard site is on Shvuas. So Shvuas is already a Yamtiv, anyways. So after the Balshemtov, the Magid is the teacher of all Hasidim, all the various different branches. Um, after that, Hasidim, Hasidic, uh, the Hasidic um, movement branched off into many different groups and they became the very, all the different uh, Hasidic groups. But the only time that there were two, that there was only one leader was the first two generations. So Yutas Kislev is the yard site of the Holy Magid. But that doesn't make it into a Yom Tif. That makes it into a very special day, um, a Yom Zakai. A yard site is a Yom Zakai. It's a very pure day. A Yom Tif is, was created on Yutas Kislev because of the release of Reb Shneer Zalman of Liadi from his incarnate incarnation, incarnation, in which he was incarcerated, he was imprisoned um, in the year 1798. Because of his, uh, because of slander or whatever it was that um, 
those who opposed the Hasidic movement were worried that Hasidism is a uh, going to lead the Jewish people astray, away from observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi was one of the most powerful uh, teachers and, and movers of the Hasidic movement, especially in the hotbed of the Misnagdic world in White Russia and Lithuania. And for that reason, um, he was, uh, it was reported uh, there was an um, accusation against him. And um, as a result of that, as a result of that accusation, Rabbi Zalman was in prison for for 53 days, in which his life hung on the on the line. He was accused for treason. In the end, he proved his innocence, and the Rebbe was released from jail. This day then has, from that time and onward, become a day of great celebration and festivities, and literally considered a Yom Tif. It's considered a Yom Tif by Hasidim, primarily by Chabad Hasidim. This day is a Yom Tif. An onlooker on the side, um, who is not, doesn't see themselves, his or herself, as a Hasid, or maybe, a def- or maybe not a Chabad Hasid or the like, might look at the whole thing very strangely and very funny. And like I myself used to, when I, before I started learning Hasidus, um, as just a little bit of fanaticism, a little extremism. Come on, relax. Okay? The Balatanya was a big tzaddik, and he, 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 he takes a very prominent role amongst the great tzaddikim in Jewish history. But amongst another gazillion tzaddikim, there are so many great rabbis and great people, and in their personal lives, they sometimes had situations where their lives were threatened, and some kind of a miracle happened. And you don't find that, that, that their followers or people will make a yomtiv from the day that they had their liberation forever and ever, and turn it into a yomtiv. Call it a yomtiv. Understand, people celebrate a yard site, commemorate followers of a teacher. But to go and call it a yomtiv and, 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 and treat it with seriousness as if this is like Hanukkah and Purim. I know personally that a lot of people laugh loud about that. And a lot of people, even if they don't laugh loud, chuckle quietly when they see that. And, and again, the reason I can identify with that, because when I was a kid growing up, I was also one of those laughers. I also thought it's ridiculous. I thought the Chabadniks are a little bit over the edge with their fanaticism and, the, and, and, and seeing this as a Yom Tif. You know, as a result of, my, of, of being me being Niskarev to Hasidus and learning, I realized that this, this, uh, this approach or this uh, kind of scoffing or whatever it is, is just coming from, sadly to say, simple ignorance. It's anybody that has picked up the book of Tanya and seriously studied the book of Tanya will have to admit that this book is a transformational book. This book takes, completely transforms you and, and takes your entire worldview and turns it inside out. It's not just another safer. 
There are many, many, many svarim on Jewish theology and on this. But the book of Tanya is an extremely unique book. It brings such, it, what it basically does, it, it, it gives you the perspective on life, the perspective of Torah and mitzvahs from the, from the way it is viewed in heaven. It gives you the soul perspective on all of Judaism. It takes us out of our human speculations of the chitzonius, of the external approach to what Yiddishkeit is all about. And it opens us up to the deepest, inner, inner, inner core of what Yiddishkeit is all about. As a result of that, it creates such enthusiasm, such excitement, such determination, of course, just by learning it one time, uh, being that we're human and we tend to forget, so it will have impact on your life, but if you put it afterwards on a shelf and you don't learn it again, so it will act as an inspiration and perhaps create some kind of a shift and an appreciation from a different, and, and, and create some, a, a, what we might call the paradigm shift in a person. But then it will wear off and we go back to being just, you know, who we were yesterday. But if a person continuously studies, and then not only that, but takes the other teachings of Hasidus and follows up with it, the energy, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the depth, the connection to Yiddishkeit becomes so much truer, real, deep, powerful. It takes it to a whole new level. It takes Yiddishkeit to a whole new level. It takes your life to a whole new level. It is literally, literally, a meta, it, 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 it creates a metamorphosis in a person's life. When you realize that, you realize that how fortunate we are that we had a master like Rav Shneer Zalman of Liadi, a teacher like that. And um, you realize that this really truly is a yomtiv, a real yomtiv for the Jewish people. I think the objection that many people have towards something like this goes even deeper, which is the problem that happens to people when they don't learn Hasidus. And the advantage of learning Hasidus Without Hasidus, and this I always felt this way, and maybe I, I, this is my own thought, but I think, I'm, I think I'm right, from just my interaction with people who have studied Hasidus and those who haven't, is that in general the thrust, the feeling for those who didn't learn Hasidus is that Yiddishkeit happened thousands of years ago. That's when in biblical times, in the times of the Nevi'im, that's when God was really involved and that's when things were really important. But then we went to exile, we went to Gullus, we didn't deserve that relationship, and we're cast into darkness. And now we're kind of holding on, we're, we're hanging in there, we're holding on to this thin, thin, thin rope. And one day out of nowhere, from the middle of nowhere, and it keeps on getting, and the world just keeps on getting darker and darker, and life keeps on getting more and more depressing because it looks like Judaism, and it looks like the world is only becoming more and more corrupt and darker and darker and we are very much influenced by the notion and idea of Yeridas Adoros, of the descent of the generations and which is a true, a true idea and, and one reaches a point of like, okay, I'm, I'm a Jew because I'm a Jew, I'm going to continue with my Yiddishkeit but you don't really feel a sense of progression in terms of the world and the like. It looks like, and, and what was, was, a long time ago it was. It was once upon a time there were great days. When you start learning Hasidus, you realize that our generations that we are living today in are as significant and as powerful or even more powerful than biblical times. And you realize that God has actually given us tzaddikim to lead us to, the, to Mashiach Tzedkenu 
that are, that are tzaddikim on the levels of the greatest neviim, of the greatest back. And I know it sounds radical, and again, it only sounds radical to those who did not learn Hasidus. For those who learn Hasidus and actually allow themselves the joy, the happiness, the light of these powerful masters, it's impossible. You will, I'm just asking, I'm teasing everybody that didn't learn Hasidus. Come one time to a class in which we're actually learning Hasidus from a book and don't get turned off after a half an hour if it's a little bit over your head. Allow yourself to sit and study and, and absorb and you'll see that once, once, the, once it settles into you, you're going to feel a total transformation. And the joy and the inner happiness and the inner, you'll feel it resonates, it resonates so deeply in your neshama, the truths, it's unbelievable. And you will realize the same idea, that Yiddishkeit is not something of the past, but it's an ongoing, and that we're constantly progressing, and that the world is only getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Even though it might look like in the newspapers that it's getting darker, it's truly only getting brighter. Hasidus gives us the lens, the ability to look at the world from a complete different place, and be completely optimistic, and feel Mashiach's coming, mamish every moment. Um, so this is very, 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 this is, this, is, this is something about just a parenthetical idea about the Yom Tev of Yotes Kislev. Now, it, it's interesting that the Chabad Rabbeim um, said some phenomenal things about the day. The fifth Chabad Rebbe, Reb Shalom Doiv Ber, uh, in, in a, a hundred and I think 16 years ago, wrote a powerful letter. And when you see what the Rebbe wrote, you see that I'm not just telling you, I'm not just telling you stories over here. But the, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, who was a Baruch HaKodesh, who was a Tzadik Kodesh V'Tohar, and a, and a brilliant man, if you, if you learn his Chassidus, his Chassidus, from all the Chabad Chassidus, this is the most, like the, the, the deepest Chassidus is from the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe. And he writes about this day, that this day is the Rosh Hashanah for Chassidus. So when, when this actually came out, there was a great excitement in the Hasidic world that the Rebbe is saying that Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, is Rosh Hashanah. And obviously, as Hasidim reveled in this new idea, and they were excited about it, non-Hasidim had some ammunition to really laugh and say, come on, look at these Hasidim. We told you they're crazy. Now they have a new Rosh Hashanah. So they said to one of the great um, non-Hasidic teachers, Reb Chaim Oizer, who was a, the chief rabbi of Vilna, Reb Chaim Oizer. They came to Reb Chaim Oizer and they laughed and they said, look, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says that Yutes Kislev is a Rosh Hashanah. And the Mishnah says there's only four Rosh Hashanahs and Chabad came up with the fifth Rosh Hashanah. So Reb Chaim Oizer, by the way, the Rebbe Rashab was held in very high esteem by all the Lithuanian great rabbis. Reb Chaim of Brisk, there's lots of stories. Reb Chaim of Brisk, Reb Chaim Oizer, the Chafetz Chaim, all said very, 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 very high praises for the, for the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Reb Rashab. So they, they um, Reb Chaim Oizer answered and he said, yeah, yeah, ba'uns faltavek and ba'zei kumtsu. That's an expression in Yiddish. By us, we're losing, and by them, they're gaining. In other words, we're losing. And, because in those days, anybody familiar, the Haskalah movement, the, in, the movement of enlightenment, so-called enlightenment, was wreaking havoc in the Jewish world, 
even in and, 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 in a, and, and including the scholarly world of the great scholars and the like, because quite on the contrary, they were the intellectuals. And through various different books, it was making its way into the yeshivas and the like, and many, 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 many yeshiva bacham and the like were, be, were being slowly but surely ensnared and pulled away from Yiddishkeit. And ideas of apikorsis and the like of heresy started going into their heads. So Reb Chaim Oizer was very aware that this was happening to, to people in, his yesh, in the yeshiva and the like. And he said, we are losing and the Hasidim are gaining. I mean, by us it's being subtracted and by them it's being added. Now, in this letter, and I want to share with you the, the, the intensity of how the Rebbe Rashab, when he wrote about Rosh Hashanah, he says that Yutes Kislev, just to read, just to get an idea, and, 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 and he says, This is the Yom Tif in which our soul was liberated. Our souls were liberated on this Yom Tif. So he's saying like this, don't look at it as a liberation of a tzaddik. Don't look at it as a liberation of a tzaddik. A great man was liberated from jail. That's not what it is. It's the liberation of our neshamas, of our souls. Because we are now able to be liberated from the Yetzirah. We're able to be liberated from the constricting darkness of the world by having given to us the gift of Hasidus. Because had, God forbid, the 19th of Kislev miracle not happened, then the Hasidic movement, at least as much as the unique Chabad approach of taking the esoteric teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and the Arizal and disseminating it in a way that people can understand, it would have been snuffed out. And there would never have been a continuation to it. And as a result of that, hundreds of thousands of Hasidim would not would lose their spiritual light and all these great godly, these precious teachings, which by the way, as we're soon gonna discuss, actually is what saved the Jewish people. Because in a simple, simple level, when one realizes, first of all, the fight that was put up against communist Russia, when all Jews, whoever was there, and everybody was that religious, and everybody was observant, if they had any chance, just packed their bags and ran away. There was no way to stand up against the Soviet monster. And it was only the Hasidim, and mainly the Chabad Hasidim, that set up, set up the underground network, and were willing to die, and were willing to go al-Kiddush Hashem with absolute sacrifice to be able to preserve the observance of Yiddishkeit. The reason why today, if you go to Russia and you see thousands of yeshivas, both Hasidic and not, is because the embers never burnt out. Because there was always a continuation, a hidden continuation, which was only because of those who learned Tanya had that mysterious nefesh and had that determination to be willing to put their lives on the line, even if it meant chas v'shalem, um, you know, uh, that they knew that hundreds of chassidim were arrested and killed, and yet they still went and continued their underground yeshivas and mikvahs and the like. In addition to that, take a look at the work that chassidim have done across the world today. Set up a network of Jewish institutions across the entire world so that there shouldn't be one Jew left behind when Mashiach comes. People don't realize that the Chabad network of emissaries across the world is mainly a very, very, very Mashiach thing. It's to catch every single Jew, that there shouldn't be one Jew that's not ready for Mashiach by not having been done a mitzvah. It's not just a kirov. You say, we have to, it's a mitzvah to be makar of Jews. It's not that, it's something much deeper than that. In order for Mashiach to come, 
Every Jew has to have a connection to Torah mitzvahs. In addition to the fact that the sparks of holiness, if we get a little bit more mystical, the sparks of holiness need to be elevated across the world. And instead of the Jewish people having to travel throughout and the Gullahs having to be prolonged for who knows how many more years where Jews will have to travel to China and to Japan and India and this and that, so uh, actually the Lubavitcher Rebbe says this, by sending one emissary and sending one person, it represents, he's, this person is empowered like an entire community. And they do the work with their families of children, keeping saying brachas and doing mitzvahs, and not only that, reaching the Jews that are in that, these, God, these lost Jews, God-forsaken Jews, so to speak, people that are living in the middle of Yehupitzville, a middle of nowhere, they wouldn't ever expected that anything of Judaism, and yet, in the middle of nowhere, they find a shul, they have a mikvah, they have kosher food, they have someone that puts on tefillin with them on the street, there's someone, a little girl, a girl who says Shema Yisrael, a girl who lights Shabbos candles. We don't even have, we have no hasaga, we have no idea what's going on. Oilam Goylam walks around and turns around and says, oh, nice, Chabad, nice, they're a wonderful organization. You don't realize this is, this is tremendous, this is like, this is unbelievable, this is huge. This is Giyula, this is related to the coming of Mashiach. This is something very, very, very big. So what I'm saying is, the inspiration that comes from Tanya. Now, for most people, and I would say this, and I'm, I'm certain without any shadow of a doubt, for a person to be able to move into a place where there is no Yiddishkeit whatsoever, and there's no support system, and there's no friends, and they're not even getting money, not like you're getting money and support from anywhere, you have to raise your own funds from the people, from the community that you're coming to, and sometimes there's not even a community there. And to go and to be able to do that and raise beautiful families and not only not be impacted by the darkness in the place, but quite on the contrary, take entire cities and transform them, that is that power to be able to do that singular alone. I know that in many communities, there is a kolel that starts. A kolel. Okay, you're coming with a team of 10 people, you have a support system. And people are supporting you. There is a, there's people that are already, if you're going out there, someone, someone pays you a salary. It's not like going into Yehupitzville without any support, without anything, and going into a place, and, and still not being impressed. It takes a very, very deep soul connection, and it all begins, and it's all coming from that great empowerment. It's coming from a tiny little book called the Tanya. And if not for that book, all of this would not be happening. So we see clearly that this, 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 this redemption is a redemption of the Jewish people. It's not just a redemption of an individual tzaddik. And that's the honest truth. Whoever is willing to be honest, whoever just wants to, has bias and all kinds of other things, okay, let, let them have their opinions. But I'm just telling you the honest truth. If you're willing to look at it from a real, true, honest place, this is the reality. So the Rebbe, the, 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 third, the fifth Chabad Rebbe says, and amazing, he continues his letter, and he says, V'or, it's a day that our souls were redeemed, V'or v'chayos nafshenu, and the light and the, and the energy of our soul, nitan lanu. Basically, you know what was given to us? We got access to the light and to the energy of our neshama. Before this day, our, our neshama, our inner light and inner li life force of our neshama was locked. So even though we were living as Jews, we were, our neshama was impacting us, but we didn't have the key to open up the secret treasures of our soul and to be able to connect to the deeper light and energy of our inner soul. Now we were given light and, 
and Chayas of our Neshama. And also we were given the hidden secrets of the Torah, that the hidden secrets of the Torah, they are the nourishment and they are the energizers of our soul. Hayoyim this day he says, Rosh Hashanah Ladach. It's a Rosh Hashanah for Hasidus. This is what the day is. That our fathers have given us. And then he says, which is, and this is the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. But then he adds another line over here. And you read it and you think, come on, you know. It seems like, Rebbe, you're being very, very extreme with this. You're getting carried away with your, with your belief in this Chabad Torah and this Hasidus Torah that it is so essential and so great. This is what the Rebbe says. He says, Zehayoyim Tchilas Masecha. The day of the, the 19th of Kislev is the day of the beginning of God's work. That says about Rosh Hashanah. But what does it mean it's the beginning? And these words actually bothered me so much when I started learning Hasidus, before I was able to really appreciate the depth of what it's saying, I felt like, come on, it's a little bit exaggerating. This is what he says, listen to these words. Shleimus ha-kavana mitis The ultimate, the perfection of the ultimate purpose of why God created man on earth. That the ultimate purpose for why the Abish that created the human being on the world is fulfilled on the 19th of Kislev. Wow. There's no monkey business. He's saying over here that this day is touching upon the innermost point of creation. The reason. What? Lahamshich. How does this day fulfill that? Because on this is the day in which we draw forth. This is the day in which we pull down, we download. The revelation of the inner light, of the innermost of the pnimius of our Holy Torah. On this day, on the 19th of Kislev, we download for the entire year all the Hasidic inspiration, all the Hasidic teachings that we're going to study all year long. Just like on Rosh Hashanah we receive our life for the whole year, we know that all the parnasa we're going to make, all the livelihood we're going to make any time during the year comes to us on Rosh Hashanah. It, and then it just manifests the whole year. So on this day, the 19th of Kislev, the energy of the inner light of the Torah, the, this enlightenment is coming to us on that day and then it disseminates over the whole year. It's a very powerful day. That's what he says. Now there are people who... Um, would, as I mentioned earlier, would say, come on, it's, 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 it seems a little bit too much. And uh, the Ar Hasidim that would be even embarrassed to say this publicly, especially in the forum that I am saying it now, in which so many people that listen to this are not necessarily Hasidim. So I had an interesting insight today, and I'd like to share. It's my own insight, but I'd like to share this with... Uh, in Shmona Esrei, we have a special bracha. And you know, everybody connects to a different bracha in Shemona Esri. Um, one of the brachas that speak to me very, very dearly is the bracha Allah Tzadikim ve'Allah Chasidim, in which we're davening Allah Tzadikim for the Tzadikim, Allah Chasidim and the Chasidim v'Zikneyai. It's a special bracha that Hashem should, should bestow his, his protection on the Tzadikim. And then we ask a special prayer. We say, V'simchel keinu imohem. Put my lot should be with the tzaddikim. We should belong to the tzaddikim. So first of all, you see clearly in the bracha Allah tzaddikim that you can be a good Jew 
You can be a very wonderful Jew, you can be a very religious Jew, you can be an observant Jew, but you don't necessarily belong to the tzaddikim. I don't mean that you're not a tzaddik, we're all not tzaddikim, regular people. If you learn Tanya, you find out that tzaddikim are only very, very few. Even if you never sin all your life, imagine a person who never sinned all his life, you're still very, very far from being a tzaddik. You're a, then you're a benani, you're an average individual according to the Tanya. If you sin once, then you already belong in the realm of the wicked. That's why uh, <laughs> Hasidim in general, it, if we learn Hasidus, that it keeps, us, it keeps a person a little bit on the humble side. Because you realize, you know, okay, what are we already? Not even a benani, not even an average. A tzaddik? A tzaddik are super souls. Very, very few people that are tzaddikim. But there are tzaddikim. Until Mashiach comes in every generation, there are tzaddikim. It's possible to be a Jew and be a very good Jew and just, and you do your thing, you, you learn, you have shiurim, you give tzedakah, you do everything, but you don't feel like you're not connected to the tzaddikim. We pray in Shemayna Esrei, v'sim chelkeinu imayim, let my lot be with the tzaddikim. To me, it's very precious because when we open the center, this center is the, in Los Angeles, in our neighborhood, this center is the shul of the tzaddikim. I don't mean that the people are davening here at tzaddikim, I'm sure maybe some are. I'm not talking about that. It's a place in which all we want over here is to share the teachings of the tzaddikim, of all the tzaddikim. And, 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 but, but the connection to tzaddikim, and interesting, when we say tzaddikim, who do we mean by tzaddikim? Now there are, throughout history, the Jewish people have lots of great men. But the word tzaddik, the word tzaddik is primarily a term that began to be used from the Baal Shem Tov and onward. Before that, you have different names. You have chachamim, you have this, you have rishonim, achronim, rabbonim, goonim, different names. Tzaddik was always the Hasidic Rebbe was called the tzaddik. And there's a lot of Kabbalistic idea to talk about this. Tzaddik is, has to do with the sixth level of the sixth uh, attribute called Yesod, and it only appears in the sixth millennium. That's why the Baal Shem Tov comes in mid of the sixth millennium. It's a lot, a lot to talk about this. But to be connected to Tzaddikim really means to be connected to the students of the Baal Shem Tov. And I thought, again, it's my own thought, this bracha is said between Tkabe Shofar Gadol, blow with the big shofar, and the Yerushalayim Ircha, your city Yerushalayim, and Estzemach David Avdecha, which is the Tzmicha of Mashiach Tzedkenu, the sprouting forth of Mashiach. Which means in the midst of the process of Giyula, if you really want to tune in to that redemption, and be part of it, the redemption is for every Jew. Mashiach is for every Jew. But if you want to be not a passive bystander, but you want to be an active, involved in bringing Mashiach in that amazing and sense the Giyula even before. It's obvious to everybody. Allah tzaddikim v'yallah chasidim v'sim chelkeinu imohem and put my lot with the tzaddikim. But then we add another, another word, another phrase. And we say, so that I will never be embarrassed. Le'olam va'ed forever. No, I'm sorry. Because within you, I trust. So how do you, how do you understand these words? I put my chalik with the tzaddikim. And I will never be embarrassed. I will never be shamed. So I think till now, the way I always understood it is, this is the way I understood it. I mean, I didn't really learn the pirush on tefillah to tell you if the way, my old way of understanding was right, but this is the way I always understood it. 
if I'm going to be connected to the tzaddikim, they will keep me. A tzaddik is able to lift you. Even when you fall down, the tzaddik is able to hold you up so that you will live, therefore, a holy, godly life. And therefore, you, will, you, will, you won't be embarrassed forever and ever. Because you have the benefit of being connected to the tzaddik and therefore So le'olam le'nevesh is not a prayer. Le'olam le'nevesh is a reason. Why the simchal ke'noi Why should I be connected to tzaddikim? So that le'olam le'nevesh I will never be embarrassed forever. But why do we have to give a reason? You're praying. Who cares? You have to give God a reason why you want something? Do we say to Hashem, we say, forgive us, because we sinned, but we don't say, because we feel so bad, and it's so bad to sin, and therefore, please forgive me. We're not, we're not giving reasons. Please heal me, God. Why should you heal me? Because it really feels bad to be sick. And therefore, please heal me. We understand, God knows why you want to be healthy. So if you say, I want to be connected to tzaddikim, the Ebershter knows already. What's this notion of so that I shouldn't be embarrassed? Yeah, that's part of it. If you'll be connected to a tzaddik, the tzaddik holds you so you won't be embarrassed. Now I realize that it's not a, an outcome. It's the part of the prayer. You know why it's part of the prayer? You're davening like this. Let me be connected to the tzaddik. And number two, I should never be ashamed with what tzaddikim say. Do you realize the depth of what is being said? Sometimes tzaddikim say things that sound radical, they sound a little bit above our heads, they sound like they're like, they're, 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 they were maybe hallucinating, and that's because the, the mind of the tzaddik, tzaddikim see things a hundred years before they happen. Tzaddikim see things at least 30, 40 years in advance. Tzaddikim see the entire world, they see everything that's happening. Tzaddikim are in a whole different realm. So sometimes a tzaddik will say things that is completely beyond our limited minds. And even when someone is a chassid, even when someone is attached, he's embarrassed with what his Rebbe said. So he doesn't want to tell anybody, shh, let's hide this, let's not show this to anybody, because he said something that seems to be embarrassing. So we're davening and we're saying, not only not only I should be connected to the tzaddik, but I should never be shamed with the tzaddik. Why? Because in you I trust God and I know that every word that a tzaddik says is going to happen. Why? Because anybody that knows anything about true tzaddikim, but these tzaddikim, they are, a real tzaddik is a merkava. He's a chariot to God. And when he speaks, his words are not his words. His words are God speaking through him. The Shechina speaks. I have no doubt that all the words that came out from the Holy Baal Shem Tov weren't the Baal Shem Tov saying his own things. The Shechina speaks through the mouth of the Baal Shem Tov. The Shechina spoke through the mouth of the, 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 um, the, the Holy Magid. The Shechina spoke through the mouth of Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev, Rabbi Yisrael of Karzhenitz, the Karzhenitz of Magid, Rabbi Lamelech of Lozenz, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin, the Baal Atanya, Rabbi Nochem of Chernobyl. These people, they didn't speak just their own words. Their words are godly words. And therefore, when a tzaddik says something, it's absolutely real. Have to be embarrassed. It's MS and MS Lamita. That's the introduction to this year. Now, what does this Yom have to do? We know everything is Bashkacha Pratis. So, oh, no. So, my question over here is when you say it's Rosh Hashanah, is there truly, so what does it mean? You can say that it's the beginning of something. 
Rosh Hashanah always means the beginning of something, and Rosh Hashanah means that this is that it's the it contains the energy of whatever is going to follow for an entire year. So, for instance, on on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for kings. So, what does that mean? That means for a king, his energy comes to him on the first day of Nisan, for all his power that he's going to have the whole year. So then we can say it's Rosh Hashanah for Hasidus means, particularly for Hasidus, it's Rosh Hashanah. But if you take a look, so the Lubavitch Rebbe says an interesting thing. He says, when you look at what my predecessor said, and you also look that Hasidim take this Rosh Hashanah so seriously, that they actually say to each other, Lashana Toiv, the same blessing that people give to each other for, real, for Rosh Hashanah, Tzadikim give, I mean Hasidim give this, this blessing to, the, to, to, to each other on Hasidim give this blessing to each other on the 19th of Kislev and they say Lashana Toiva for a good year you should be inscribed and written in the, in the teachings of Hasidus in the learning of Hasidus and in the ways of Hasidic so therefore he says is a sign that this is not just a we're not talking just merely about about a one particular aspect of Judaism that this is a Rosh Hashanah for, but that this day, the 19th of Kislev, is actually connected to Rosh Hashanah. It's actually the innermost of Rosh Hashanah. The inner point of Rosh Hashanah, which is like the most important day of the Jewish calendar, is the 19th of Kislev. And therefore, he says, you always find that the 19th of Kislev comes out the same day of the week like Rosh Hashanah comes out. So for instance, Rosh Hashanah was Thursday and Friday. So the, 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 um, uh, this year, the 19th of Kislev is on Thursday, next week, Wednesday night. So it always connects. Sometimes the first day of Rosh Hashanah, sometimes the second day of Rosh Hashanah, depending on if the month of Cheshvan is a full month or the month of Cheshvan is, a, is 29 days or 30 days, that can be different. Okay. But it will always come out on the Rosh Hashanah because there's a similarity. So to understand what kind of connection can the 19th of Kislev have with Rosh Hashanah? What is the relationship? So to understand that, let's take a look at Parshas Vayishlach. The 19th of Kislev always comes out in the vicinity of Parshas Vayishlach. When we read Parshas Vayishlach, and this is really, really, very, 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 something very, very beautiful. When we read Parshas Vayishlach, we see what's the theme of Parshas Vayishlach? And how is Parshas Vayishlach? Um, so the theme of Parshas Vayishlach is Yaakov sends messengers to Esau. Yaakov is dealing with his brother Esau. From a deeper, more inner perspective, the idea of Parshas Vayishlach, the idea of Parshas Vayishlach is the Jewish people dealing with the, with the Gentile world. That's what it is. It's the rectification of the Gentile. And one then will say, okay, so what is the 19th of Kislev, which is the day that the deepest, innermost, esoteric, highest, teachings of the Torah are delivered to the Jewish people, what is that connected to Gentiles? The Gentiles, the Gentiles. It's the most external, the most outer world. What does it have to do with, with, with the 19th of Kislev? Out of all, Parshas Vayishlach seems to be the most unfit Parsha for a Parsha in which Parshas Yisro would have been a good Parsha. Parshas Yisro, we're receiving the Torah. This is something coming to the Jewish people. The 19th of Kislev brings us the Torah, the esoteric part of the Torah. I understand. But what does it have to do with the Gentile world? So to understand this, let's take a look at what we're going to do tonight. 
very briefly, is we're going to have a quick overview of the entire book of Bereshis. And because, really, you know, the book of Bereshis is called Sefer Hayashar. It's the, say, it's the book of the righteous, of the straight ones. Who were the straight ones? Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, our forefathers, they're considered the Yashar, the Yasharim, those that are straight, the, the, the righteous ones. Why are they the... Now, we also know that the work of the fathers, the work of the fathers is a simon, is a sign, maise of a simulabanim. That which our fathers accomplished is a sign for the Jewish people. And it means a sign, it means not only is it direction, but it's also inspiration, and not only inspiration, but it's also an empowerment for the children. So the entire book of Bereshis, even though it's the, about the life of our fathers, it's a little snapshot, it's a little preview, it's a little map. It's a map of all of history, of all that the Jewish people have to accomplish throughout history. When we're going to look, so what we're going to do today is like this, we're going to go an overview of the book of Bereshis, go through every parsha and show how the, every part of Parsha's Sefer Bereshis is another milestone in the ultimate realization of what the Jewish people need to accomplish. Then we're going to come back and parshas Vayishlach and get an appreciation of what Vayishlach is all about, and then we're going to understand its connection to the nineteenth of Kislev. So now let's 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 go back to let's go, let's go back let's go to the Sefer Bereshis. Parshas Bereshis begins with the with with, and what we're mainly going to do is we're not going to get into the details of the parsha. We're just going to look at the names of all the parshios, and the names themselves are going to give us. We'll see how much is in a name. Bereshis means in the beginning. And in the beginning, what's the beginning? Beginning is that God created heaven and earth. The first, everything begins with creation. Everything began with God creating a world. And Bereshis tells us, the theme of Bereshis is that everything that exists in, in Shemayim and in Aretz is, is, was created by God. There's nothing in the world that just exists outside of Hashem because God created everything. Heaven and earth, which means all this of the spiritual realms, all the way down to the physical, all the way down to the most concrete of the physical, and everything in between, it's all created by the Abishter himself. Fine. And Bereshis also tells us the purpose. Rashi tells us that the word Bereshis means that there are two things, Bez Reshis, the word Bereshis stands for two things that are Reshis. The Jewish people are called Reshis and the Torah is called Reshis. That means God created the entire world for the sake of Israel, and for the sake of Torah. Everything and everything in the world is connected to Torah and to the Jewish people. Everything. An alleyway in Zimbabwe, a restaurant in Paris, a market in, in Morocco somewhere. Everything is connected to a Jewish person doing a mitzvah or learning Torah. How, what, where, and when? I don't know. I don't, after Mashiach comes, we'll, think, we'll, we'll all know how everything was all part of one big puzzle. But everything in the world is connected to the plan and the purpose. Because everything is created by God and God did not throw in an extra pieces, any extra things that He doesn't need here. Everything is part of the plan. Good. For the sake of Israel, for the sake of the Jewish people. What's the sake? What's supposed to happen? What is Israel and the Torah supposed to do in this world? The answer for that is Noach. What does Noach mean? Noach comes from the word satisfaction. The Medrash says that when it says two times, Eilat Toldois, these are the, these are the chronicles, or these are the children of Noach. Noach ish tzaddik, it says two times Noach. The Medrash says that Noach stands for Naichal Elyoinim, Naichal Letachtoinim. A certain tranquility above and a tranquility below. That means 
The purpose of creation is for a deep satisfaction that our Creator is going to get. Creation was created, God created the world for, for a satisfaction. The nachas that God is going to get. What's God's ultimate delight and ultimate pleasure? When our physical world is going to become the home, His home. The Medrash tells us, and this is the cornerstone of the book of Tanya, one of the primary cornerstones in which the Tanya flips the entire worldview of a Jew upside down on its head, is where the Tanya says that the purpose of creation is not spiritual. The purpose of creation is not sub, uh, uh, a, a, a transcendental, sublime service to Hashem in the spiritual realms. But the purpose in creation lies in the concrete, material, physical world. When the physical things in our world become synchronized with God, with Hashem's will, then Hashem can live and be totally unified in the Gashmi of our physical world. Physical world becomes a home for God. And that gives the Eibishter a tremendous nachas and a tainuk. That's Noach. Noach is the satisfaction that comes from Bereshis. Bereshis, God creates the world. Everything is His. For the sake of the Torah and the Jewish people that we should create Noach. We should create the satisfaction. But how is that going to happen? How is a world that is so full of schmutz, a world that is so, di so disconnected, a world that the Arizal defines, this is how the, the great Kabbalists define our world, as a world that's mole klipois v'sitra achra. It's filled with klipa. It's filled with shells. It's filled with extraneous forces. It's filled with stuff that block things that conceal and obscure God and that are antithetical to anything holy. How is such a world going to become a, a home for Hashem, where Hashem can fully manifest and reveal Himself? The answer is, God needs some volunteers. That's Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha is the neshama is being, all souls are dispatched on the mission. Throughout the 5,000 years of, world, of, the history, of the world, or let's better say, close to 4,000 years since Avram Avinu, uh, came on the scene, the first neshama really. Since the time, and Hashem told Avram Avinu, Lech Lecha, is when neshama after neshama, soul after soul, was dispatched into this world to purify, to elevate, to sublimate, to transform, and to realize the ultimate dream of God. Lech Lecha, Hashem tells every neshama, me and you, God said to each and every one of us, Lech Lecha, leave the spiritual abode, leave the place where you're enjoying my light and you're so deeply connected. Go, go to a faraway land. Go down over there so that you can bring my light. So you can enlighten the ignorant that are in the physical world below. That's Lech Lech. Fine. And we know, by the way, Lech Lech has a double meaning. Lech Lech means for going down. Hashem tells the Neshama to go down, 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 down. But Hashem, even though we're ultimately doing for God's to accomplish something for Hashem, like we spoke earlier, for Hashem's Noach, for Hashem's delight, but God will never, ever, ever make us do something that we won't benefit from. So it says that lech lecha also means the opposite. That as a result of coming down into this world, going low, 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 down, down, down into a body, lech lecha, the neshama is going to ascend after 120, and definitely after Mashiach comes, the neshama is going to ascend higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and infinite heights, as the neshama is going to cease to be a stationary being like malachim. Malachim are stationary beings. They stand in one place. The neshama is going to become a mahalech. The neshama is going to become a mover. It's going to move to endless heights. That's Lech Lech. Fine. 
So we know that the Abishter needs our souls to come down into this world to purify the creation. In order for that to happen, in order for, 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 for us to be able to come down here and not be influenced by the darkness, quite on the contrary, we should break through the darkness and illuminate the world. Vayera, what happens? Before a neshama comes into this world, God has to supercharge the neshama for its mission. So it's true, the neshama basks in God's light for hundreds of years when the soul is in heaven. But the neshama gets put into a special, special place in which it will receive intense godly radiation, intense empowerment of Hashem into the neshama to fuel the neshama before it comes down. Just like you fill, fill a car up with, with, with fuel before you go on a long trip. Before the neshama goes on a long trip down to earth, Hashem fills the neshama. This is the concept that the Gemara says, that before a neshama comes into this world, they and they make the neshama take an oath. That you'll be a tzaddik. And Hasidus explains here, he has, he has the richness of Hasidus. Every little thing the Torah says, the Talmud says, if you learn it with a Hasidic little touch, it adds so much beauty. Take this little idea. The Gemara says an oath is administered. Hasidus comes and takes the word, the shin from the word mashbian has a little dot on the right side. Mashbian. Hasidus comes and moves the dot from the right side of the word to the left side of the word and changes the word from mashbian to mazbian. What's the difference between mashbian and mazbian? Mashbian means they make an oath upon you. Mazbian means they satiate. Malashin sova, being satiated. They satiate the soul with so much light and so much godliness. And that's the oath. And then with that extra... Because when you make an oath, you're, getting, you're making a strong determination. You're, you're empowering yourself. And so it's not like they're saying that it's not mashbian. It's both. It's mashbian. How mashbian? Through mashbian. Through insatiation. That's Parshas Vayera. What's Vayera? Vayera elav Hashem that God appeared to Hutabra. Spiritually, what does that mean? Vayera elav Hashem, that Hashem appears to your neshama, to my neshama. Before my neshama came down here, whatever, years ago, whenever your neshama came down, Vayera elav Hashem. The Abishter appears to your soul like much higher than it ever felt, that it ever experienced before. Then what happens? That's great light that the neshama receives. It's not enough that that light is touching the pintalayid, your point of faith, your inner, inner core is filled with this light. You have to diffuse that light. You have to take that inner strength and make it part of your external self. It has to fill every, every aspect of your being, your intellect, your emotions. That's Chaye Sarah. What's Chaye Sarah? Chaye Sarah, the, the Pasuk says that Sarah lived, how many years? A hundred years? The Pasuk says, Meya Shana, the Esrim Shana, the Sheva Shana. So here again, you can read it. Sarah lived 127 years. I'm just, I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to share with everybody my enthusiasm for Hasidus. Because when I learn Chumash and I read that Sarah lived 127 years, very nice. Next, what else? Nah, comes Hasidus and Hasidus says, wake up, don't be such a klutz. Stop already. I'm sorry for getting so excited. Don't be such a klutz. Why not be such a klutz? The Torah is telling you a story that Sarah lived 127 years. Very nice. So what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Torah says like this, you are Sarah. You are Sarah. We're all Sarah. Because Sarah is the Shekhinah. 
We're all part of the Shekhinah. Sarah is the Shekhinah, and we're all part of the Shekhinah. In our Neshama, we have three dimensions. You have a, a dimension that's called 100 years, you have a dimension that's called 20 years, and you have a dimension that's called seven years. Seven years are the seven emotions, the seven human, you, godly emotions in our godly soul. Chesed, Gevurah, Teferes, those are the emotions that motivate all of our actions and all of our activities, those are emotions. And they're individual, they're like singular digits. Because over there, the energy is the most reduced. Higher in your neshama are 20 years. What are the 20 years? The intellectual faculties. You have your chachma and your bina, but they're already not single digits because intellect is so much greater than emotion. So in the realm of the intellect, 20 years is, the tw is 10 years of chachma and 10 years of bina. Chachma and bina, the intellectual faculties, those are the 20 years. And the hundred years, those are your encompassing powers. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, that's called Keter, your crown. That's the part of your neshama that transcends your intellect. What's that? That's your willpower and your pleasure. Your willpower and your pleasure. Because willpower is stronger than intellect. It drives the intellect. And even deeper than willpower is pleasure. Where is your pleasure? Where is your delight? So we're saying like this, that Vayeda Elav Hashem, that the revelation that God reveals to, to, to the Neshama, to empower the Neshama, Chaye Sarah becomes the full life of Sarah of the Neshama. That means it doesn't only remain in our subconscious, deep, deep inside. No, we're filled with pleasure of, about the mission. We're filled with desire, with willpower to see it through. Intellectually, we also understand and appreciate that life is so precious and so important and we can do so much. And emotionally, we're excited. Chaye Sarah. Wow. Do you see what just happened to these five parashiyas? It's not stomping. You're mapping out the whole story of, of, of what it's all about. We're not done yet. Now comes Parsha's Toldos. What does Toldos mean? Toldos means, okay, now the Pasuk is describing to us, okay, the Nisham is coming down to this world. What does the Nisham need to do down here? What's its objective? The objective is to make this world holy, but how is it going to be? Toldos, Toldos means you have to produce. Toldos means children. You need to be productive. What's the production? So simply, first of all, just having children, that itself is already a production because you're bringing more souls into this world. So you're bringing this continuous purifying force into the world, having children. But Chazal also tells us, Rashi tells us, that what are the toldos, what is the, considered the offspring of a person? Toldos of tzaddikim, maisem toivim, the good deeds. So you're here in this world to do good deeds. To have children, which are the good deeds. Who are those toldos? What are the good deeds you have to do? So you would think, good deeds. Hmm. Well, Rashi tells you, who are the toldos? Twins, Yaakov and Esav. Esav? What's Esav doing over here? How can Esav be one of the good deeds that we do is have Esav? Having Esav is not a good deed. Esav is a troublemaker. Esav is a, is a menace. No, 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 no. It's teaching you that your production and your effect on the world is both Yaakov. Yaakov represents all the things you're going to do in this world that are intrinsically holy. You're going to come into this world, you're going to learn Torah, you're going to learn Mishnah, you're going to Davin, you're going to do mitzvahs, you're going to do holy things, things that are essentially Kedush and holiness. That's Yaakov. Yaakov is Ishtam, he's a perfect tzaddik. That's Yaakov. And then there is Esav. 
What's Esav? Esav is everything that's unholy in this world. Everything that's dark in this world, that's Esav. Esav is the klipa, Esav is the darkness. Oh, we got to keep away from that. No. It's your job to influence that which is dark and ugly and negative in the world as well. How do you influence it? Influence it in a few ways. First of all, you influence the bad, the negative in the world, through what we call sur meirah, by not giving in to the temptations that will come your way. Which means, even if you're a very, very, very from, from, extremely religious person, and you keep yourself very insular, you close yourself off from all the, all, everything non-holy in the world, you, you too will have a temptation. Everybody gets temptation. Somehow the klipa is going to manage to stick its way into your consciousness. And what are you going to do? You're going to say no. And guess what? Guess what happens when you say no? When you say no, you actually cause the klipa, the unholiness in the world, to be broken. Every no that a Jew says to any kind of negative temptation against Torah, and against, they cause a shattering in the sitra achra in the other side. I want to ask you a question. How many no's did the Jewish people say for when God gave us the Ten Commandments until today? How many times did a Jew say no? I know people I like to speak gossip. This one did that and this one did that. But how many no's? Do you know how many no's God has up there from all the no's that we've said. You know what kind of devastation we did to all the klipa? We break it, we break it, we break it based on the no's that we do. But the ultimate tikkun is not just in the no's because the no's is just breaking the unholy. The ultimate is to be able to take the unholy itself and transform it to kedushin. That's the ultimate. So it's not just saying no, it's also being able to go into that which is negative and unholy and reject it, but also find the positive potential and use that for holiness. That's already already much trickier, and not everybody can do that. But that, that is it. The truth is, when it comes to the end of days, God forces the Jewish people to do that. And that is accomplished through Balei Tshuva. Through people who, for whatever reason, were born into, into, into a home, into the environment where they didn't know about Yiddishkeit. And as a result of that, end up sinning unbeknown to them and eating and, 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 and living a life that is filledly steeped in the klippa, in the really dark klippot that are not redeemable, that we can't use for Kedusha, but they don't know. So therefore they're involved. And then they come back to Judaism. And when they come back to Judaism, they have a thirst to holiness and to godliness much more than someone who was born religious and observant. That extra thirst comes because their soul was wallowing in darkness for such a long time. And when they do tshuva, they take, they don't crush the darkness, they take the darkness itself and they convert it to Kedusha. Esav ha'amurim b'parsha. You see, there's two types of Esav. There is Esav on his own, but there's another Esav. What does Rashi say? Who are the toldos? What are the effects of, of what, what are the offspring? What are Yaakov and Esav? But not Stam Esav. Esav as Esav is stated in the parsha. That means Esav as Esav is rectified. Esav as Esav becomes part of Torah. That's the work. That's the told us. Following? Okay. So now we know what our work is, what work consists of. Working with the holy, crushing the unholy, and rectifying it. Fine. What's Parshas Vayetze? 
Vayetze is actually going out and starting to do the work. Till now we spoke about the preparation. Vayetze is, Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov is the neshama. Me'be'er shava, the Orachayim HaKadosh says, Be'er shava is the, the Be'er is the well where all neshamas come from, the great spiritual godly well, where all neshamas come from. Yaakov's neshama goes out from Be'er Sheva and Sheva the Arachaim says is also referring to the oath that's administered for the neshama before it comes down so the neshama leaves that place Vayelech and the neshama goes Charana to Charan you know what Charan is? Charan is a place that angers God that's our world it's a place that before the Jewish people get involved it's a very ugly, dark, lowly place that gets Hashem upset and our work is to change Charan. So Yaakov goes to his uncle Lavan. Lavan is a carn artist. We spoke about it last week. He's a deceiver. He represents the physical world that's lying to us all the time as if there's no creator. And Yaakov goes to Lavan and he takes all of Lavan's possessions and he turns it into his possessions. He takes Lavan's children and he makes them his children. You see later, Lavan is so upset at Yaakov. The only thing he can say to him is, your children are my children. Your possessions are mine. That's the end of the conversation. He's so angry, but he realizes he lost. Yaakov goes into the world and takes everything that belongs to Lavan and turns it to Kedusha. That's Vayetze. That's an idea of an Eshama coming into the world. What's Vayishlach? Vayishlach is phase two. Vayetze is phase one in our work in this world. Vayishlach is phase two. What's Vayishlach? What's phase two? After we deal with the Lavan of the worlds, we have to deal with a lower, lower part of the world, and that's the Esav of the world. You see the difference between Lavan and Esav? Lavan is a klipa. Lavan a klipa meaning a shell, something that obscures God, but he is kind of a par of a klipa. He's a, he, he's a klipa called in Hasidic Kabbalah, it's called klipas noga. It blocks God, but it's not utterly, it's not the darkest of the dark. Esav represents a real, real force of, of, of anti-holiness. It represents the really, really dark things in this world. That's Esau. You can also see that Lavan means white, and Esau is red. See the difference between them? He's red, red with, with, with an energy that stands against Kedusha. And when we finish purifying that which is permissible in the world, we're faced with the last couple of generations, we might say the last moments of the exile, that the Eberster sends us to fix that which is unfixable, that which is really dark in this world we have to encounter. And that's why in Parshas, you see, Yaakov is very challenged when he's dealing with Lavan. But, you know, you can see that he kind of, he's not scared. Comes to this week's Parsha, he has to deal with Esau, he's terrified. He sends him a gift, he's davening, he's crying, he's get, he's, and, then he, and then you see him what? Ferociously fighting with the angel of Esau all night long, they're kicking up dust. This is the last and final battle, right before Mashiach comes. This is when we deal with the real dregs, with the really dark things in this world that we all have to deal with, yes. Today, because of, because of the exposure that we have, that each and every one has as a result of today, all technology and stuff like that, we end up wrestling with really dark stuff. And that's Vayishlach, it's the next phase. But in the end, what does Yaakov have to do? He rectifies Esav. And we know that Esav's, and I have time to really get into this, it says that Esav, the sparks of holiness that Esav is connected to, Esav is very low, but Hasidus teaches us that Dafke Esav contains within himself sparks of holiness 
that are much higher than Yaakov's source. And the secret to Mashiach, we can only get to Mashiach if we can take the sparks that have fallen into Esau, into the Gentile, and into those elements of the Gentile world that are very low. And when we can rectify them and elevate them. The 400 men that were going with Esau, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, it says, you know who these 400 men are? These are like the worst murderers. These are the killers. These are the guys that you think ISIS looks bad. You know what kind of guys Esau was coming with? So now these guys, you know what their spiritual source is? The 400 coins that Ephron gave Avram Avinu, those are the same 400. You know who they are? So the Zohar says that when Mashiach comes, God is going to give the, the tzaddikim 400 worlds of longing. Kesef means from the word longing. 400 spiritual worlds of longing. But those 400 spiritual worlds of longing collapsed and they fell into the dark, the dark forces of this world, the 400 men of Esau. And Yaakov has to go confront that. He can't run away. God forces him to confront it. In the end, he sublimates them. He fixes it. That's Vayishlach. Good. So we finished the raid. We're done. The work is over. What happens next? Vayeshev. Vayeshev means tranquility. That's the world of Mashiach. Rashi says Vayeshev means Vayeshev Yaakov. Bikesh Yaakov Leishev B'Shalva. Yaakov wants to sit in tranquility. That's the ultimate shalva. The, the war is over. The battle between good and evil is over. All the dust settles. We see a beautiful world. And the Jewish people can live in peace and in harmony and in tranquility. Connected to Hashem. Unbelievable. And interesting, I'm going to show you one more interesting idea. Yaakov lives Be'eretz. Where does he live? Megure Aviv, where his father... Megure means where his father lived. But Megure also Aviv means where his father feared. Megureim comes to the Lord's fearing. Yaakov lives in the land that his father feared. What does it mean? Yitzchak is not like Yaakov. Yitzchak is a tzaddik that lives secluded in holiness. Yitzchak is the father of Yaakov. And when Yitzchak looks ahead and Yitzchak sees what kind of monsters, what kind of demons, what kind of dark forces Yaakov is going to have to fight... Yitzchak is afraid, will we ever manage? Will we ever be able to deal with such darkness, with such a harsh world? How will my children, how will Yaakov survive? But when Yaakov comes back 22 years later, triumphed, overcome, triumphed over Lavan, triumph, which is the essential material aspect of this world, triumphing over even the real dark forces that fight Kedusha, that's Esau, and he wins? He brings a vayeshev, he brings a calmness even to Yitzchak. Yitzchak who was so scared for his son Yaakov, now he realizes if this is God's will, we're going to accomplish the impossible. That's vayeshev. Miketz means, and then we've reached the end. The end of all of our work. The end purpose of shenasayim yamim, the two years, miketz, it says miketz shenasayim yamim. The two years means the end of the purpose of the spiritual and of the physical. I don't have that much time to explain miketz, but I'm going to leave it for now. And finally, Vayigash, what's the whole, and good, so we finished everything, the world is rectified, the world is a home for God, what's the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate gain from all of that, what, what does God really want, what's his inner, innermost, God wants intimacy with his bride, this is only creating the home in which he can be intimate with his wife, because you need a home for that, so the whole world is made, and that's Vayigash, Vayigash means he approaches, Every single Jew approaches Hashem and, and achieves an ultimate 
Vayigash Elov Yehuda. Yehuda's the Jew. Vayid, Vayigash, we approach Elov to God Almighty. The essence of Hashem Himself and the Jew merge together. Vayigash Elov. After Mashiach comes, the ultimate union between Knesset Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Jew and God merge together. And when Jew and God merge together, not in our souls, but with our bodies, when we actually, with our physical body, becomes one with Hashem, Vayichi, then we live eternally in the physical world. Vayichi means, and we live. Today we're not really alive, because we're only living temporary life. Hey, whatever, 120, and then the neshama departs the body. Vayichi means we will live happily ever after, forever and ever, because we've achieved, achieved total oneness with Hashem. Jew and God. Unbelievable. That's the story of Bereshus. You got the entire Sefer Bereshus, the entire purpose of creation. Based on this, we'll understand why Vayishlach, why Vayishlach is such a pivotal, pivotal parsha in this whole thing. Because according, according to everything we've explained till now, the first few parshios from Bereshus until Toldos is not the work it's what? The introduction to the work. The last few parshios from Vayeshev, Miketz, Vayigash, Vayechi, is the outcome of the work. What's the work itself? Vayetze, Vayishlach. Vayetze is the first few thousand years of Judaism. Vayishlach is the last battle when we deal with the real dark elements of the world in order to confront them, to transform even the lowest of the low. That's, why, that's, why, that's Vayishlach. Oh, so Vayishlach is the end of our work. It's really the conclusion of the work because Vayeshev is already the reward, so to speak. Vayishlach is the end of the work. The toughest part of the whole thing, finishing and completing the work, for that we need Hasidah. That's why the Balshentov came to empower the Jewish people for the last and final battle. We need to connect to the inner, inner, deepest, inner point of Torah to give us the strength to be able to deal with these, these challenges that leave in the end of days. But even deeper than that, the way we bring God to be the essence of God to reside in the lowest of the low, the essence, we need, there's a medium. How do we get the essence of Hashem down in the low? We need the essence of the Torah. The essence of the Torah brings us the essence of, the God, of God into our neshama and through our neshama into the world. So the Jew and the Torah are the mediums through where the essence of Hashem becomes one with the, low, with the world and the lowest parts of the world. So therefore we have to have the, the holiday of the 19th of Kislev which brings us the essence of the Torah and allows, like the words of the Baal Shem your mayonois, your literally your springs should come chutzah, should come outside. That means not only a little bit chasidus, not only, what's the chiddush? Let me stand, for those who are not familiar so much, what's the difference between the Balatanya and all the other Hasidic masters? Others felt that you can't teach these essential, deep, godly ideas. You only have to give people little nuggets, little tiny something. Meaning, they said, give the people the ray of the Torah, don't give them the essence. The Palatanya said, no, the purpose is that the essence of the inner, inner essence of the Torah 
should come to everybody, to every Jew, even the Jew who's the farthest away. That's what Mashiach said to the Baal Shem Tov. When your well springs, not when the water from the spring will reach, the well spring itself, the spring, not the water, not that you will grab a cup of water and go to the farthest places and say, you want a little teaching of the Baal Shem Tov? You want a... No, that's not it. The spring itself, the well itself, should reach where? Everywhere. The furthest places. And that's accomplished, like you see today. Across the entire world, our teachers teaching Hasidus, across the whole world, in every city, in every place. The wellsprings of the essence of the Torah is in every corner. That's how the entire world becomes a home for the essence of God. We merited over here to have Mayan, the actual Mayan, on La Brea, in Hollywood, in the midst of the town and the root of the biggest towering, giant, ginormous clippers. I have no doubt there's nothing to do with me. I promise nothing to do with me because I'm, I'm irrelevant. But I have no doubt that this Mayan Yisrael, right over here, neighboring over there, in which hours upon hours of the deepest teachings of Torah are taught over here. Every Thursday night, you can come, very few people, but it doesn't make a difference how many people are here. Every Thursday night, hours and hours of the essence of God is revealed up here over here. That's what's causing all the news that you've been reading in Hollywood happening in the last few months. The toppling of these huge, ginormous clippers falling and disintegrating. It's hard even to find anybody who's still standing. Everybody is falling. This is the, the garbage is collapsing across the entire world. Why? Because see, this is being taught. It's, the, it's these teachings that are being taught everywhere. The Panemius, and therefore, the more people learn it, the more people will open up, the more we will see that darkness will dissipate and only light will remain. So what does it have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah, we call out to Hashem. We want to crown God on the entire world. Make Hashem king over the world. To make God a king over the entire world, not just in B'nai Barak, not just in Williamsburg, not just in Muncie, not just in small little enclaves, but to make God the king over the entire world, over 70 nations. To do that, you need that book of Tanya. You need the teachings of the essence of Hasidus to reach out everywhere across the entire world. So the Abish should be a king. So the Pneumius of Rosh Hashanah, the actualizing of Rosh Hashanah, is the 19th of Kislev. This is not a little cute little yontif. This is the deepest yontif of the Jewish people. This is huge. 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 And by the way, this is all a commercial. Because I'm inviting everybody to come over here on next week, Wednesday night. We're going to have a great 19th of Kislev gathering. We're going to sing. We have Bensi Marcus here from the Eighth Day Band. And we're going to have a, a great evening of song, of inspiration, of connecting to the energy, to this great light. Because we are holding literally mamish at the moment. And I call out to everybody. If you didn't start learning Hasidus seriously, now's the time. Jump on the bandwagon. Jump on the Mashiach, on the Mashiach uh, train. It's happening much faster than you think it's possible. It is happening now. Now is the time to learn. Bring your friends. <clears throat> bring your neighbors. Bring your cousins. Your nephews. Your aunts. Your uncles. Everybody. Let's storm the world with holiness, with Hasidus, and you'll see so quickly that will change everything. And, and, and Esau himself will have a complete, complete transformation. 
And by the way, like you're seeing today, I just want to show that the most extreme elements of the world have totally been turned over. The UN that a year ago, we, we, we forget so fast, the UN that was once the biggest antagonist against the Jewish people, take a look, the Abishta made a miracle called Nikki Haley. A whole transformation, the whole, yeah, there's still a lot of bad stuff happening there, but that whole animosity and that whole yuckiness against Israel, it's all shattered. Saudi Arabia now wants to make, become best friends with Israel to, to demolish the clip. It's unbelievable. We're seeing transformation. I mean, these are the miracles. These are bigger than the biblical miracles. How is it that Saudi Arabia, the prince of Saudi Arabia, wants to go hand in hand with Israel? Your shmuel is turning over. How is it that instead of an administration of Obama and who knows, whoever was together with it, which was so, so anti-everything holy, we have today someone, as I spoke about, that is... It's, it's inconceivable that this man should be president, but yet, he does God's work. He's standing, and if not for the Jewish people, I have no doubt that if not for the Jewish people involved next to him, whether it's Christian, I don't know who it is, we would have long already had the embassy in Jerusalem. It's the Jews there that are afraid of it. Jews that are insecure with being Jewish. But the Gentile, Asaph, he would have done it a long time ago. The more we will be proud with our Judaism, the more we will stand strong, he will do what he needs to do. And you see that this is a very godly. This is unbelievable. This is ace of transform. We're already living in Mashiach's days. It's time for us to open our eyes, appreciate and understand this. And we should really, really, really connect to Hasidus and to the light of the Eberster and the light of the Shekhinah and the light of the third base Hamidish. May it happen now. <laughs> Did it out, did it out, did it out, did it out.